I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You've got to open your heart. Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. What is leadership like in today's football world? Hello, hello. Welcome to Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. This is Mike Sealski from the Philadelphia Inquirer, joined as usual, and this week behind the controls by David Murphy from the Philadelphia Daily News. Uh, our intrepid producer, Jonathan Tannenwald, is not here this week. He's out covering soccer. Uh, so we are joined at the start of the show this week by one of the best beat writers covering the NBA right now, Keith Pompey from the Inquirer and also from the Daily News. I guess your stuff appears in the Daily News from time yeah. to time, yes? Yeah, my, um, my thing says inquiredailynewsphilly.com. Okay. Just pay me. <laughs> That's a good way to look at it. Um, so thanks for joining us this week. Um, you've been busy lately, I imagine, trying to figure out what the Sixers are going to do with the number one overall pick and why they ought to do it. Um, seems like Simmons is the guy. Is that fair to say? I mean, that's what it seems like. Um, you know, and, and the Sixers, I give them credit for saying this. Like, they're saying we haven't decided yet. I mean, they say we're not leaning in any particular direction. I don't think that's true. I think they are leaning towards Simmons. But I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to just do their due diligence to work out this other guy yeah, and, and just to see if if he's a better fit for the system. But, um, I mean, it, I, I think you don't tank three years to pass up a Ben Simmons. Mm. You the, the, the big debate now, you hear on talk radio, we get into emails and, and, and social media posts every time you write about the Sixers, is this question of are they going to make a move before or at the draft, particularly with respect to Julia Locafor? My feeling is, we've Murph and I have talked about this in the podcast before, my feeling is any sort of big trade this offseason would be premature because for everybody who thinks that they know what Jaleel Okafor is going to be or they have a pretty good idea of what he's going to be, it doesn't make much sense to do that. That you, you, you need to find out exactly what you have and that there's too much risk that Embiid gets hurt again or Sarge isn't the player you hoped he would be that you're better off just signing a veteran point guard and letting him run the show and kind of direct everything and then figure out what you have with assuming Simmons, Okafor, and Bede, all these, Noel, all these guys. Where do, where do you kind of come down? I on disagree. Okay. And, and the reason why I disagree is, you know, first of all, we have a new president. I mean, you know, Hinky's no longer here. Um, and, and what I'm saying is if you look at it, Joel Embiid, He's a great guy, you know, supposedly, you know, a great basketball player. He has yet to play. Right. So I think if you get him on the court, he's a bonus. If you look at these other teams, the teams who made the semifinals in the NBA, the team conference championships, rather, and they made the NBA finals, they're basically, they're guard heavy and wing heavy. A center in, in their eyes is more of a complimentary player. So I, I kind of think that, you know, the center, the why the Sixers value the center a lot of around the league, they're not as valued as they are with the Sixers. One th and another factor is Joel Embiid or, or Jalil Okafor. You know, I think right now his stock is high. Mm -hmm. We don't know if it's going to be this high next yeah, year. That's fair. I mean, the, the knock on him is he's a great offensive player, but his defense suffers. Mm -hmm. And if you notice when the Sixers went six and nine during one stretch, he barely played in the second half of those games. Mm. So whereas right now, I think if you if you think you can trade him and get equal value, do it. Don't be like Michael Carter Williams. His rookie year, he was he was the rookie of the year, and then after that, his stock just slid. So I I, I don't think that uh, is is premature at all. What about the idea of their being so innovative? that they're going to chart the new course. Like, I've heard that argument, too, you know, that the idea of trying to replicate what the Warriors do, for instance, you can't do it because you're not going to find two shooters like Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. And if and if a team tries to do that, good luck to you because it's never going to happen. So if you're the Sixers, you can say, well, hey, we could put a team on the floor where everybody's like 6'9", 6'10", and if Simmons is, is the perimeter defender that people seem to think he can be, you, you can have him guard an opposing team's one. 
and that creates problems and, and good things for you defensively. And then you can dump the ball down low to one or two of these guys on the floor. Like they could be the trailblazer in the same way the Warriors could be. And teams are going to struggle to match up with them down the road in the same way teams struggle to match up with the Warriors now. Is there any, th- let me ask you this. Is there any thought of that within the organization or are they just committed to, to either building a more traditional model or following the trend of wing players, guard heavy, that sort of thing? I think what they're trying to do is they're just trying to go after good players at this particular time. When you look at the Sixers and you ask uh, Brian Colangelo, what does this team need? He'll chuckle. Because it's like they have a lot of holes. Yeah. And, and and the reason why people are so high on Noel is because he's a guy who doesn't need the ball. Right. You know, you look at him, he's a third option, if that. You know, but he's like Iguodala a little bit. Like Iguodala, he's but he's without, I mean not the, not the offensive game, obviously. Right. But, but yeah. he could fill that kind of role. Like a like a Ron Artest or a Rodman. A Rodman almost is, yeah. is or Theo Ratliff, I think I is mean, a it, if if you look at the way the game, like yeah, like a Theo Ratliff, if you look at the way the game is going, that's that's it's, my my you got to keep in mind my NBA knowledge. It mm-hmm. like ends around nineteen ninety. Whenever Jordan <laughs> Jordan's last retirement, like I I kind of have a, like a time capsule, so like I can name all the head coaches in like nineteen ninety eight, but I could be only name like three right now. I mean the way they get fired, a lot of no, I, think I know a lot. Of <laughs> it's true, but um, I just it, want to jump in there because I wanted to make sure my microphone works. Nah, you, hey, it's, it's working well, bro. You got it. <laughs> when but, they said when they said the crack producer was on today, they meant like the guy, the producer on crack. <laughs> nah, nah, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. Yeah, you would. Come on, you're a polite guy. All right, let me tell you. Let, let's talk about the real issue in the room, the elephant okay. in the room, if you will. Keith Pompey and I did a little uh little little Myrtle Beach tango uh, a few years ago. Um, where I actually replaced Keith Pompey. Young Dave Murphy got his first job out of college replacing Keith wow. Pompey yeah. in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina on the uh, Coastal, Coastal Carolina, Carolina beat. beat. Yeah, yeah. Dave Bennett. Dave Bennett. <laughs> Talking to your microphone too. Dave Bennett. Dude, said, you are very active. You, you, I don't need any very... cats. I want dogs. I want dogs. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think he's doing? He's probably selling mattresses. Uh, he was yeah. <laughs> he was a good guy though. Dave I like Bennett Dave Bennett from Catal though. Yeah. Did you like him? Uh, I thought he was a. I thought he was a scam artist. I don't uh, like. You know. I don't. Cool, first man. of all, I don't trust Southern people. Like, <laughs> like if you have a southern accent you're automatic yeah. you got to prove me you got to prove me wrong well, i guess you want like my family like <laughs> well, so so what was it like i mean living in myrtle beach like was it well you know who's the big myrtle beach guy yeah well yeah, well my, my wife from there mm-hmm. from that area i mean it was cool but the only thing is it got to a point where um after a while i loved it there but after a while i would say to myself if i, if I wasn't working for the sun news i wouldn't be here i right. wouldn't want to be here and, and that's what it was. But it was cool. I mean, it's different because if you go down there, and, and, and Murph could attest to this, you get down there and most of the people from other places. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, it wasn't like, you know, Myrtle Beach. But now if you get in the outskirts, mm-hmm. then it's like you're in the south. It's gotcha. like Myrtle Banner. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you get in yeah, certain places. I mean, but um, like Bennett. Some people may say he was scam. I took him as no. A, he just he a, just he a just football coach. He just he just struck me as too slick. Like I just mm-hmm. don't like people who are like he was cool though. Dude. Like I don't blow you. sunshine up my butt. He okay. could he could raise some money though. Yeah, I mean, I well I don't trust that, people yeah, who raise he money. Raise money. <laughs> he could raise money. I don't trust um, money raisers. You know, he was he was cool, but down there was different. Dude. Weren't yeah. the Dan Antonio's Myrtle Beach people? Yeah, See? yeah. His his brother mm-hmm. was it, like a, a big time basketball high school basketball coach there. Dan Dan Antonio, right? Yeah, yep. You're right. You're right. Interesting. Who was who became his assistant with the Knicks? No, first he was with Phoenix, and then he went to the Knicks with the Lakers. Now he's the coach of Marshall. Yeah, he All was right. like the big. Uh, yeah, Myrtle Beach. They call it the Redneck Riviera for yeah. starters. I'll give you a little crash course. The Red, Redneck Riviera. If you're ever down there, go to Mrs. Fish. Okay. So they they serve fish on styrofoam plates, but it's great fish, great cut of fish. Uh, a lot you get a lot for your money. The weirdest thing about the town is there's no industry whatsoever. So it's everything service industry. So like, it's just a weird conglomeration of people and i got down there in november and i like immediately wanted to like hang myself from the shower curtain (laughs) you know like it was like it's just like and it's not like nice enough weather to like like it's still cold like there's an ice storm when i got down there but it's like there's nobody there in the off season like it's just like old people and coastal carolina students and service industry workers so i made a lot of friends who were waiters and waitresses okay um, but anyway, sounds sounds great. Sounds like Seattle City in the wintertime. You know, it, you know what? It actually there's a very there's there's a uh, there's a lot of correlation relation to the Jersey Shore. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but anyway, absolutely. so Keith Pompey, I enjoyed it though. Keith Pompey <laughs> took a job covering high school sports at 
the inquiry a job that I interviewed for and did not get, and I've hated him ever since. No, there were a lot of people hired for that. Jeff McLean actually came in at that mm-hmm. time. Um, I didn't like the one girl they hired. I forget, I forget what her name was. Nikki Usher. Yeah. Anyway, oh yeah, yeah. Big fan of the podcast, Nikki Usher. Um, so, but anyway, I but then it ended up working out because I replaced Keith. Keith got hired away from Myrtle Beach, Myrtle Beach. and. I replaced him the cover coast of Carolina, and it was like one of the best years of my life. But this guy is crazy. He's like upset about it. He became like a columnist at the age of twenty six. I'm, <laughs> I'm not upset. I'm not upset at all. Oh, okay. There I'm is a, no first upset. First of all, I'm a okay. podcast producer. That's right. Okay. All right. Columnist is secondary. Right. You know. But anyway, to what's happening right now? So Keith Pompey, I think, does a tremendous job covering the Philadelphia Sixers now. And here's here's a question I have. I would like. I, yeah. Go, I'm just sorry. real quick. No. You know, we talk about Sam Hickey on the podcast quite a bit because his imprint is still all over the franchise. How has your job changed since... <laughs> I was going to say his imprint. No. What? No. no. I was going to say the imprint of his butt is all over your lips. No. Nah. <laughs> That's terrible. That's terrible. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Mike Sielski, big Sam Hickey fan is me, me as well. Um, that's why I wasn't going to say it. Yeah, true, why? But it yeah. it's still well, funny, so... Anyway, um, that's not the first time I've been accused of that. That's okay. Um... How's your job changed? Because Hinky was famously uh, closed mouth in public, but if you were around the team quite a bit, he talked to you on background, off the record, that kind of stuff. Um, how's your job changed since he's left? I mean, it, it's, it's, I guess it's still early to tell, just because Brian. By the way, Calangelo I love is, You know, because Brian Colangelo is new. I mean, the one thing I will say is that. You know, he's been, whenever you call him, he does pick up the phone. I mean, he, he, he talks to you. But at the same time, you have to realize that he's not going to tell you much right, right now because, you know, he's trying to get the draft together. He's trying to do stuff, and he's not trying to let his secrets out. Um, now, the thing about Sam Hinkie, I, I, I think he, he got wrongly criticized a lot. Uh, I thought that, you know, I, call, I nicknamed him Silent Sam just because he didn't want to have press conferences. But again, you know, he was the type of guy who we would go out to lunch, we would talk, and he would give me background information. Mm -hmm. Now, he would never come out and say something, but if you're around a person long enough, you kind of can sense what's going on. So I I, I thought he was was, was good in in that aspect. But I I do think that sometimes we're, in in our industry, we, uh, we like people to give us stuff. Yeah. And Hinky didn't give you anything. So in the summertime, it was one of those things where, you know, you wanted to see players working out and he wouldn't do that. So he got criticized. And there was other times when people wanted to talk to him on a record about certain things. Now, again, I think the one place where Sam messed up was I think that when Sam didn't mess up. Let's when, correct that yeah, right, up, right, well, right from the jump. Well, well, Sam was awesome. He was. Sam is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the, the, one the Father, thing, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. You don't talk The Spanish one thing where your father, your son, your Holy Ghost, <laughs> where he messed up was when I think the Jalil Oprah situation. Yes, yes. That's the one time when he really had to speak. But, but, but other my than thing that, with that, cool. my thing with that was I thought that that should have been a Scott O'Neill thing, where like, or there should have been somebody, like Hinky clearly did not regard that kind of thing as his job. So the organ it was incumbent upon the organization above him to like say, all right, well we need a Jerry Colangelo. Essentially, Jerry Colangelo should have been there, or somebody like Jerry Colangelo should have been there the whole time. Somebody to be the like, you need a butt kisser, you know, like you need someone to go out and kiss babies and shake hands. You uh, know, I kind of think Scott O'Neill got tired of doing that because I mean, again, I well, I get tired of doing a lot. I get tired of doing this podcast, and I'm I'm still in here. Yeah, but That's you know, right. if you, when you think of Scott O'Neill, like when his title is CEO of the Sixers. CEO of the Devils, CEO of the Prudential Center. Mm. You know what I mean? So he had a lot of heights. And then there was a lot of times when I think the Sixers were, were basically um, being quiet about, let's say, MB, the MB mm. situation. No one would say anything. So Scott O'Neill was going on television saying, everything is calm. Everything, I mean, everything is cool. People stay calm, stay calm. And then when you found out that MB wasn't playing, then O'Neill took a lot of bullets because he was the only voice speaking. So, if, you know, and I, I think Th- that... That's true to an extent. Yeah. That's true to an extent. But the Sixers, and I, I wrote this a couple of weeks ago, love to kind of promote things that haven't happened yet. And yeah. in one level, it's understandable because they tanked and they haven't been good. But the other part of that is like you're sending out vines and internet videos of Joel Embiid dribbling through his legs and dunking. 
when it's still quite possible he's going to re-injure his foot and he's not going to play. Mm-hmm. And then you've built up everybody's expectations. Um, you know, and then you get the number one pick in the draft and you throw a party, you know, on the steps of the art museum with a banner and slam dunk and acrobats. And you were the worst team in the NBA. Like, that's not something to celebrate. I'm sorry. Like, and oh, O'Neal is behind that stuff. And I understand that they have to market themselves, but there's just something about it. It's like, guys, like, y- you did what you did, live with it, and then when you get good, you can tell us all you told, you know, we told you so. So here's, here's my question. Well, actually, since it's on my head and I'll forget about it and I just heard his name, if I were to ask you the percentage that Joel Embiid plays 60 games next year, what would you put it at? Man, I don't know. Sixty games. Oh, I don't like know. Like if you were betting, man. if someone, if I, I said, if I said, if I said, what kind of odds would I have to get? If I said, I'll, I'll give you, you know, bet me ten dollars. Like what would I? What would? What return would you have to get? To you know, that's. I think that's a bet I would try to stay away from. <laughs> I mean, because I don't know. Because you know, like last year they were hyping him up. You know, saying how great he is. You know how great he was going to be and how he's going to play, and he didn't. So you don't think then, there's necessarily any reason to believe that this year is different from last year? I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's another year, so you would think that you know he would be further along. But we really don't know how good he is because the thing about it is, like when you see those vines and you see this, you know, see the videos, it's like basically, you know, him going one on one against somebody who's very much smaller. Right, than I'm he just is. talking about will he be healthy? Enough? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. We don't know right. because the, the thing is, like, he'd, he's gonna, do, he would average 27 and 12 against Billy yeah. Lang, like, you I know, would, in a post practice workout. Billy Lang? I was one of their assistant well, coaches. Was like, I would actually. I have thought he was to a 1980s him. movie star. <laughs> I would actually That's, have to uh, see he, him. He would in average the 30 and 15 against His Andrew McCarthy. Are like when we go there, we go there, and next thing you see Joel shooting the ball, and everybody's taking the videos. But when it's time to get serious, they're like, "You guys got to leave." <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, I don't know, dude. Yeah. I don't. It's like you know? the Manhattan it's like, Project. What's behind door number three? I mean, I don't know. You know, so it's it's kind of. So, like, from, from hard. people you've talked to and the reporting you've done over the course of his career since they drafted him, and even before the draft. Like, all right, let, actually, let's let's walk through the Joel Embiid timeline. So there were questions even before his foot got re-injured. There was there, it was his back. Like the thing that I originally said, yeah. the, the, the I stress remember, fracture in his back. I remember originally saying, even before the foot thing came up, I would never draft a big man who already has back problems because back problems don't go away. And if you're big, they get you know it's probably harder. The likelihood is they get it worse. Like I got a bad back, you mm-hmm. know, like. It doesn't go away. Right. You know? And we already established you're bigger than Chase Daniel. Right. We established that last week's yes, podcast. I would definitely draft myself, but <laughs> that's me. Uh, so Embiid, and then the foot thing comes out. At that point before the draft, it was like, wow, will this guy ever be healthy? From that point on forward, where are we at? Like, what do, what do experts say? Like, like, if everything went perfectly, is it re- even reasonable to think that he could come back? And Like, when people were like, oh, if only Chase Utley – can get back on the field and his knees can well I'm like well his knees don't do that like knees don't do that like it's not going to happen is it reasonable to think that he could someday be a 25 to 30 minute a game player in the National Basketball Association forget about how good I mean like do do doctors say like man there's a 10% chance of that ever happening or is that like all right if everything works out you know there's a decent chance that he can come back and actually have a long career I mean looking at the history for bigs it really doesn't work out that well I mean I think there was one person um, who came Ogaskis, back. Ogaskis, right? Yeah. He was, and, and it took years for him to come back, and he was just a role player. So it's, it's really stacked against him. And and that's why I think the Sixers are looking at it as a bonus. Right. Like, whatever we get from him, I mean, like, get from him, let's do it. I mean, when you look at him, it's crazy, though, because he grew two inches. He's 7'2". He's in shape now, body-wise. It, it looks good. So it's like, you know, he's – you know he's already part of all airport team when he walks in the airport yeah. you're like wow look at him he's huge <laughs> you know what i mean but mm-hmm. but at the same time i mean i i you know you it has to just be a bonus because you don't know yeah. that's why he could play 20 games and on the 21st game he bends the wrong way messes up his back and his foot and he could be done yeah you know what's, so, it, what's so interesting now, just real quick to, yeah. to bring it to your favorite player michael jordan you know when when jordan missed most of the 85 86 season because of the same injury, the navicular bone, the doctor who treated him, they, they, had, a, they had a meeting of, of Jerry Krause and the Bulls executives and coaches, Jordan and his agent, and the doctor. And the doctor was saying, if I were him, I would, I, there's a 10% chance that he's going to re-injure this thing. I would not play. 
and the Bulls are like, we want Michael, we want you to sit the rest of the the, the rest of the season. They're like five or six games left in the regular season, and then the playoffs. They were the eighth seed in the playoffs, and Jordan is like, uh, uh-uh, uh, I'm coming back. If there's a ninety percent chance of me being able to play, I'm gonna play. All you guys want to do is tank to get the, the, the a better pick. And he comes back and he drops 63 in game three of the playoffs against the Celtics, and the rest is history. I mean, I would love to see a study of, like, does Michael Jordan qualify as a big guy? Certainly not by the NBA standards, but by, like, normal medical standards of dealing with a navicular bone injury. Does he fall into that threshold where he's big and therefore the risk of him re-injuring it is so great? I mean, it would only add to the mystique of his career that, that he didn't have an operation to fix it, rehabbed it and treated it, and was told don't come back, and he came back anyway and became the greatest player of all time. Yeah, okay. I, I would be so, – so are there any scientific studies or is this all just anecdotal evidence? Like, you know, like we, we hear, you know, you, you know, like Sam Bradford last year we heard, you know, you've got a 50% chance of coming back from a second ACL surgery or something like that. Or is it all just kind of – is it too small a sample to really know what the exact odds are that Embiid is attempting to overcome? I mean, you know, you got to realize, like, technology gets better um, over time. Like, people know more about things and as far as, like, diet and stuff like that. But in the past, it just seems like a lot of the big men, just because they, you know, they're heavier and they're Mm -hmm. taller, and it just seems as if that they just had a hard time with that. So what do the the Sixers have any... Like case when they say do they say well this is why it's going to be different i mean they don't even say that i mean like you know what they say is like we hope and we don't mm-hmm. we don't know and that's the one thing I, I will say about um you know brian and jerry colangelo i mean you know before everyone was saying oh yeah he's going to come back he's going back they're saying we don't know yeah i mean we don't know what we have okay so, so now if you don't that, know no, 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 all right so go yeah, ahead Murphy, i'm go probably going to ask the same thing as you yeah. but but if you don't is the decision to trade or keep julio okafor yeah, independent just, yeah. of what happens with mb or do you think you think he's not this is not this is not a case of we have Okafor and we have Embiid. Therefore, let's trade Okafor. It's Okafor is at his max value right now. He's never going to be on a great team. He's never going to be a centerpiece player on a on a great team. So trade him now. You know what? I think a lot of the, the things with the Okafor things. Everybody wants to talk about basketball, but there's a reason why the Colangelo's are here, and there's a reason why Sam Hinkie was pushed out the door. It wasn't because of tanking. It was because of the stuff that Jaleel Okafor did. And I think a lot of people don't like a lot of people forget about that. They mm. forget, they they think about 17 points and seven rebounds. But I think that, you know, when you have a guy who got in that type of trouble and you look at the history of the Colangelo's had, you know, one of those things with the drug scandal. We wrote about this. So the drug scandal in Phoenix and stuff like that. And then there's another thing that people forget. Jason Kidd was an all-star out there. Well, Jason Kidd got into a domestic violence with his wife, um, you know, a fight, domestic violence with his wife. Next thing you know, he was gone. He was gone. So I think there's a lot of that going but on, I mean, but they're not saying so here, that. So let me, let, me, uh, let me play at least devil's advocate. And I would say I, full disclosure, probably agree with most of what I'm about to say. But, I mean, we're talking about domestic violence and drug scandals versus, like, a guy getting a gun pulled on him, getting into a fight, and speeding. Like, it seems like – I mean, like, again, put it this way. This might not be the wrong – this might be the wrong way to look at the world, but I judge everybody based on, like, what would I – like, could I see myself doing something that's stupid? And I, I look at Julia Loca for it, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I could see myself getting pulled over for going on 108. I could see myself getting into a fight. True, and I could I, see myself, like, being in the wrong place at the wrong time and getting a gun pulled in my head. I, I don't think it's – I don't think that – put it this way. I think that's all stuff that reasonably – you could think, well, this is a decent kid, and this is just bad stuff that happens to him. This is an idiot being an idiot at 19, which I definitely was. Or is there more we don't know that, uh, you know, this kind of is, – is, has this been more confirmation of what people were worried about Joey Oka for to begin with? All I'm going to say this is that, you know, I think the culture – somebody compared it to me like the Goonies. They called the Sixers the Goonies. They did. They said you have these 19, 20-year-olds running the, running the show. I mean, let's think That's about the NBA, it. isn't well, it? Well, no, not not necessarily, not like how the Sixers were, because I feel like you know they were so dedicated to the tank and, and this and that, to where you have these young assets, so they may get away with certain things that they typically wouldn't, because let's face it, the team isn't going to get good until they get their second contract. So you want them to like, hey, look, we let you do this, we you. let you do that, you know, you could do that. So I, I think, and it's just, and unfortunately, it's not just him. But it's I guess what I'm saying, saying, all right, so but let's, let's, let's try to keep it focused. Like, Okafor, to me, the, the question is, just Okafor, 
is he going to be a good enough basketball to keep player to keep him, or is he going to be worth more than the trade market? Do you think there's character concerns that are big enough that warrant him being traded? Do you know what I'm saying? I, I think that there are some character concerns, but I think with him, let's be let's be honest. You know, he's in his he's going to be in his second year. Right. right. You can't trade Joel Embiid. Right. You just can't. He's probably potentially he's the best player, but there's no one going to dumb enough to take a guy with with question marks. You look at Nerlens Noel. He has another year left on his rookie deal, but then you're going to have to pay him. You're going to have to give him more money. Whereas you can trade Jalil Okafor. You can look at him and you have him for two years, and then you can decide: Do I want to throw money at him or not? That's part of the reason but why, why he's six- going to be one. That's but, part of the reason why teams want. But him. why don't the Sixers want him? Um, you know the thing that people I like again, like I said. Here's the thing, dude. When Okafor was scoring 17 points a game, but when they were winning, he didn't play well, in the okay. fourth quarter. No, I agree. See, I agree on that. Like, I don't think the Okafor. I don't think they value him okay. as high as people outside do. Like, I think fans look at sports. Like, if you look at Jalil Okafor and you see the moves and you see this, like, wow, he's great, which he is. But I feel like they felt like when it was time to, to get, you know, get into it, time to win the game, they felt like, you know, the pick and roll was best. We had somebody in New Orleans Noel who can block shots and defend and run the floor. We'll give him a couple lobs. Now, one-on-one, is he better than Jello Okafor? No, but I think that he's a – they feel as if he's okay. a better fit. No, that see, that makes sense. We, we were just starting to get into the character thing, yeah. and I wasn't sure what the – but, 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 but the character, character thing, thing did add to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know? But, but, I mean, I think, I think but still, I think in the NBA what it comes down to is – and this was kind of the Iguodala thing where you got to decide – as you said – you got to give the the right money to the right guy, and if so, Okafor is clearly going to be you know a a upper tier contract guy because he puts up those numbers, yada yada yada. But he's not. But if he's your max, if he's a max contract guy for you, chances are you're not going to be a, a, a great team. Do you know? Right. What, do you know yeah, what I'm saying? no. Like, yeah, you're you're yeah, getting yeah. back to the Elton Brand, Andre Iguodala. Right. When yeah. when those are your two max contract guys in the right. roster, you're in bad shape. So, yeah. which is the, just, which is and, why I would advocate if that's the case, I would definitely try. Right, and and just to tie a bow on the character thing. I think you, Murph raises a good point about, you know, the idea that this isn't necessarily an, an arbinger of Julio Okafor becoming a bad, poisonous kind of guy. Uh, Marcus Cousins, right? No, but no. what it what it did show was, I think what it did was convince either ownership, Scott O'Neill, or both to say we've got to get a sheriff in here to clean this right. up. Jerry Colangelo, based on his esteem around the league, based on his history, including cleaning up the drug scandal in Phoenix became that sheriff. And so that that's the relevance of the character question. With no, Okafor. I got you. I was just, I was more, it just seems to be taken as a fait accompli uh, lie. Fait accompli. Fait accompli. Fait accompli. But also think Sounds very, that, you know, uh, exotic but here's the other thing. There's other things like, you know, they all have egos, right? And you, there was a, we were in LA and I didn't hear it just because I was on the other side of court, but there were people saying that, you know, Okafor's father was heckling Brett Brown. See, I've heard a lot of things about Okafor's father. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, he's a cool, he seems to be all right, but again, it's kind of like, do you want to deal with that stuff? I mean, do you want to, you know? So now let's get to Ben Simmons, because here's... Okay. All right, so that's kind of the stuff that gives me, would give me concern about Ben Simmons, is that everyone says like, ah, you don't understand, it was LSU, it was a family friend, yada, yada. But it's just like all this little stuff where it's like, does does a normal, upstanding, like, well, I don't even want to say normal. Well, does a well-adjusted player make the kinds of decisions that Ben Simmons has made in terms of, A, going to LSU? B, once you decide to go LSU, you better be going there to me thinking, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead this team and lead my family friend to where this team should be. And I just – watching him play, I never saw that kind of, like, attitude out of him. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, he's got to, like – I don't even want to bring LeBron up to it. But, like, the thing people criticize LeBron about, you know – for whatever you can criticize LeBron about, it's it's and he does he has a little passiveness in him. Do you know what I'm saying? Like he mm-hmm. likes to be the guy who like he likes to make other people better, which is fine when you're with the Heat and you got two other great players around you. But with Ben Simmons, like you're you're very likely going to be in a situation where New Orleans Noel is a you know complimentary player. He needs somebody to be the guy. Uh, you know whoever they tr- whoever they dra- you know if they draft let's say they trade Okafor for, you know, the pick that gets them Jamal Murray or something like that. You know, chances are he – I mean, he's not a go-to, you know, score. 
I'm not sure that Ben Simmons on the six. Uh, put it this way: like it makes a lot of sense if Ben Simmons, you know, goes to a team with two or three scorers around him, where he can be that kind of Magic Johnson, LeBron. LeBron, I think LeBron's perfect example, the LeBron mm-hmm. kind of guy. But if he's going to be the guy who needs to shoulder the load, he's already shown that he didn't do that in his first chance to do that. Does that give you any sort of pause whatsoever? Also, I think that this is a weak draft. I mean, I hate to say that because you know the guys who 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 are going into the NBA, but you and know, you don't know. It, I mean, you, you don't, don't yeah. you don't know. But going into it, people are saying it's a weak draft. I I kind of like Jamal Murray, but at the same time, I don't see him going first overall. The thing about the Ben Simmons thing is, is like the Sixers are bad. Um, it, it's like they need so many, so much. They need so much, but you look at these guys and you say to yourself 10 years from now who is the one who can become the superstar who has the most potential and ben simmons does and that's the reason why people are doing it he's also is also one of those things where personally i think the lakers are in a better situation than sixers and people think i'm crazy about that because you have the fans and they see ben simmons they see they hear the household name and you're saying like you have to go after him you have to go after him but then if you're the Lakers, you're like, well, I already have a power forward in Julius Randle. I can slide this other guy, Brandon Ingram's at the three, and the fans won't be upset because Ben Simmons was already off the board and I can build a team. But, are- but I think what the Sixers have to do is they can't afford to do that because if Ben Simmons should happen to be that superstar in a couple years from now, the next thing you know, a general manager or president can get fired right. for making the wrong move. Right, and it, this gets back to something we were discussing before the podcast, which is, um, I wrote about this for last Sunday, about the question, all these questions about Simmons and how do you answer them, how do you address them, how do you take them into consideration? And I talked to, I got a response from a reader slash friend of mine who raised an interesting question. He and I were both at LaSalle University at the time that there was scuttlebutt that Kobe Bryant may or may not go to LaSalle because his dad, Joe, was an assistant coach. And if you were in that time period, you knew Kobe, there was really no chance Kobe was going to go to LaSalle. But the question he ra- my friend raised was, one of the issues with Simmons is that LSU went from being a tournament team in 2015, 22-8 and like an eighth seed, to being 19-14, and 14, not making the NCAA tournament, not even deciding to play in the NIT, having all these problems with Ben Simmons, who's supposed to be the best player in college basketball, you know, you got to hold that against him. Why didn't, you know, kind of the issue, part of the issue Murph is raising. My friend asked, if Kobe Bryant had decided to go to LaSalle, A, would LaSalle have been a tournament team with him on it? And then B, if they had not been a tournament team, how much would you have held that against Kobe once he comes out in the draft? And that's an interesting question because I can tell you, having been there, LaSalle would not have been a tournament team with Kobe Bryant. They were terrible. Mm-hmm. But does that necess- do you necessarily does that yeah. necessarily mitigate the greatness of Kobe Bryant? And I don't I don't think that you can say. See, that's the, my, I guess that's my thing is I don't think you can say they definitely would not have been a tournament team because Kobe is that good. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like was LaSalle any worse than Davidson without Steph Curry? You know, maybe. Yeah, uh, yeah. They, they were six. And, they were yeah, six and twenty-four. And you're saying if, Co- if if Kobe says he's going to LaSalle, you can't recruit other players to play with him, based on one year. I mean, I mean, Simmons had another potential draft pick with him on that LSU team. But here's the difference between that. Like Kobe would have been playing in LaSalle at the Atlantic Ten level, whereas uh, what's the guy Steph Curry was at Davidson in in, in that league. I, I forget the name of the league, but <laughs> yeah. but you know the, the the talent level wasn't that good. Ben Simmons went to an awful LSU team, but they were tournament team in the year before. Well, but dude, but they lost. I mean, dude, they but they also had problems. He wasn't the only one. They had injuries. They had a lot of other different things, and so I don't think that he was going to elevate them. Just because it's Ben Simmons playing, because you still now they did beat Kentucky, but you still have to go up against Vandy, you have to go up against Florida, you have to go up against a lot of good teams. And let's face it, you know Ben Simmons is is a is a product of the AAU era. You know he he was thinking about going to the NBA since he was probably eight years old. Mm-hmm. His father, you know, is from the Bronx. He played thirteen years over there. They knew that his son was going to be a basketball player, so he was just trying to go somewhere for a year. Where they where they can do whatever they wanted to do, and also 
don't get hurt so I can go to the league. Right. Yeah, and, and the that's other, what it was. Okay, and the other factor, sense. I think... I think that's the best argument. That, that's good. And the other factor, I would say, getting back to Murphy, your comparison with LeBron James, is that the nature of the way Simmons plays, if you watch him play, perfect chest pass, perfect bounce pass, like not taking the ball and just deciding with 20 seconds left in the shot clock, I'm going to break my man down. Like his style of play is very team-oriented, as we said. You know, Frank Martin, the South Carolina coach, told me, he's like, you know, th- when you're at the college level, for the most part, you're playing within a system that your coach thinks is the best to win the game. Now, maybe that system might be get the ball to player X and let him take over, but LSU didn't play that way. Now, that doesn't mean they were good. It just means they didn't play that way. So if you're going to play that way in that system, if that's your sensibility anyway, the way it is for LeBron, you're not going to take over a game in the way that another player might because you're just not inclined or it's not the system, whatever the case may be. Yeah, and let me be clear. I, I'm With LeBron and with Simmons, I'm picking nits. Like, all I'm saying with right. Simmons is that, you know, we heard this guy was, like, the truth, like, you know, mm-hmm. for two years. And all I'm saying is, like, I look back over these drafts the last four or five years, he's just, like, not – he's not as no doubt about it as John Wall to me. Like, he's not as no doubt about it. That's how – that's just how I look at it. You know, like, Wiggins is probably a good – because, frankly, I thought Wiggins was a little passive at Kansas, too. Like, I didn't – we Wiggins was the same – and. Frankly, like for whatever reason, I think part of it he might be a product of overexposure. You know, for whatever reason, the NBA draft has gotten to the point where, like, dude, we're hearing about these kids when they're maybe it's just the one and done thing because, like, you are looking at these yes. kids when they're sixteen years old. But I remember like hearing about Wiggins when he was like a sophomore or junior in high school. And, yeah. Like, you just I think you build yourself up to expect so much out of these guys when you finally see them that it's like, oh, well, wait a minute, like they're still playing in college, right? They're nineteen right. years old, and, and, and yada, yada yada. What's funny about that is the Wiggins comparison. Um, the Wiggins draft offers an interesting comparison to this draft in the sense that now you're trying to, you know, the Sixers are trying to choose between Simmons, who has kind of been the quote-unquote chosen one for a couple of years now. It's presumed he was going to be the number one pick. And then you have Brandon Ingram, who wasn't even starting for Duke at the beginning of the season and makes this meteoric rise to become... But my point is, the year Wiggins, you know, everybody's winless for Wiggins. You know, Andrew Wiggins is going to be the number one pick. By January of that season, his teammate... Was had overtaken him as being presumed to be the number one pick. Who was his teammate? Joel Embiid. Right. You know, but same was kind of number, rapid right. rise. I got you. I got you. Yeah. I just like I like Ingram too. Frankly, it might. Just, I do too. It might be yeah. just because he looks like, like Kevin Durant. But, <laughs> but that. <laughs> but he's got that. Put it this way. Like, even on a Duke team in which he clearly wasn't the number. You know, he he wasn't. It wasn't a build the offense around this guy type of thing. Like, he just had that like get to the hole mentality that like. You know that which that I didn't see. Like for me, the 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 again, it's just like little little pieces of string that end up with this big ball of like I'm not sure about Ben Simmons. But like the biggest thing for me is let me be clear, it's, it's a process thing. Like I, when I would watch them, I'd be like, oh man, like where's which one's Ben Simmons? Because you can't tell. Just right. Watching. Well, that's, whereas like Ingram, you could tell like yeah. which one's Brandon Ingram. Oh, it's that guy with the first step beating his guy and going to the hole. That, you know? That's mm-hmm. that's the way I would frame it for myself. Like my my issue would not be like. I'm going to take Brandon Ingram because I have these major, major concerns about Ben Simmons. I might take Brandon Ingram because we know so little about either of these right. guys that it's still possible Brandon Ingram's going to turn out to be the better player. Right. And that's no slight against Ben Simmons. Simmons may be terrific, and Ingram may be Kevin Durant or somebody else. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. I mean, I think Ingram has, he has the better fit for the Sixers. He's the better fit for the Sixers. But I think that people feel like you can't pass up on Ben Simmons. You just can't. You get fired for passing up on Ben Simmons. I mean, you, you know? could. Yeah, you could. It's like the Michael Jordan thing. You don't take Sam Bowie when Michael Jordan's on the board. You know? That, that's right? right. Sam Bowie, right? Yeah, and that's, and, and that's a perfect example, too, because the Trailblazers, part of the reason they didn't take Jordan that year was because they already had Clyde Drexler. And they said to themselves, well, we can't, you know, we're drafting for need. We need a center. We don't need a shooting guard. Which we'll take soon. Sam Bowie, which yeah. is dumb. All right. So, anyway, it's funny that you brought up the Wiggins draft because I was actually going back and like you mentioned how weak the draft is this year it's been the, the Sixers picked the absolute worst time in NBA history to tank I think because these drafts have just been so bad ever since that like I mean even even when they weren't tanking to get Evan Turner instead of John Wall that year like that's when this whole thing yeah. started. that's what necessitated the tank is that they got Evan Turner with the number two pick in that draft even just going back over the Wiggins draft like what would you have done differently other than Embiid like I mean is Julius Randle that much different from Noel He's a better scorer, a better, yeah. But he hasn't scorer, been healthy. But no, he hasn't but been, I, yeah, nah. But I mean, like, like is that like? I guess what I'm saying is, are you in a better? How much of a better position are you in right now if you have Julius Randle instead of Joel Embiid? Obviously, better because he can play. But like, 
like would a Julius Randle impact what you're doing with Noel or Okafor or you know like let, let like go back and like what if they had Julius Randle what would they be doing right now what kind of conversations would we be having? They we'll might still have. have yeah. I mean, they'll have a pretty good uh, power for it, but at the same time, we'll still say you need a guard. Yeah, I mean, you need a guard. I, I think where they messed up was in that first. It's draft. just amazing how few. The like, there's just draft. nobody in that. Zach Levine is the only other oh, guy in the. Nice. He's the only other guy in the first round out who, who has averaged more than nine points a game for his career. Well, I mean, what's Rodney the, Hood too? You know, Rodney Hood was nice. I, I I think the problem is at the third pick. You know, and and you're the Sixers. Let's face it. This is what the Sixers were doing. They were base, They were trying to find a superstar, and until they found that superstar, they were going to keep taking the best right. player available. And the guys that they got, unfortunately, you know, Embiid was hurt. And then another thing, Jalil Okafor was projected to go first overall, and then January comes, and then everyone's saying Carl Anthony Towns yep. demand. You know, so I think that's what the Sixers were doing. I mean, Hinky was like, hey, we got the best guy in the draft. It just so happens that they all play the same position. But it was one of those things where there was no timetable on the turnaround. They were going to get a superstar, and whoever they thought was a superstar, they were going to build a team around that person. And it just, unfortunately, stuff happened, and he lost his job. It's just amazing, job. like, the last couple drafts, there just has, haven't even been those, like, building block players. Like, you look at – even like, going back to the Noel draft, oh. like, you at least had, like, C.J. McCollum, uh, you know, yeah, they messed you up that They had Steven Adams. You did taking taking yeah. MCW. No, yeah, I do. I mean, because the thing about Michael Carter Williams, like you know, I big G. Michael Carter Williams coming out. A lot of people thought he would be a combo guard, not a starter, but someone who you can uh, you have as your third guard in your backcourt. You look at the Greek freak from Milwaukee. Big G. Yeah, you, you, you look at uh, what's the guy? The guy from Atlanta, um, Schroeder. Yeah, Dennis I mean, here's another one. I mean, so wasn't he, he in uh, like NYPD Blue? That's Dennis France. Uh, no, no who's, the other, who's the blonde guy? <laughs> Ricky Schroeder. Oh, oh. so, so like, like Dennis France and Ricky <laughs> Schroeder yeah, yeah. had a baby. So he would be Dennis Schroeder from the Atlanta Hawks. <laughs> I mean, nothing they were both against, in NYPD Blue, though. right? They were. All right, yeah. see. I mean, Very nothing good. against Michael Carter Williams, but if you're looking at these guys right now, their careers are taking off, and they were all on the board. But the Sixers aren't Mason the only Plumlee. ones who messed up. There right. was a lot Plumlee. of teams who messed up. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's just it's just interesting to look at a draft like that where you have so many of these. Any one of those players were like – any one of those players would have been like the third best player in these last couple drafts. Do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, there's just yeah. not – That draft was better than – The guy I loved who's been an absolute – has been uh, Ben McLemore. I liked Ben McLemore. I kind of did right? too. I thought he was big and strong. I like Thomas I, Robinson I, I like too. Thomas Robinson for the same reasons. All I know is when I was – because I was covering Temple at the time. And Khalif Wyatt was lighting him up. Oh, really? Now, Ben McLemore did get a steal at the end of the game and dunked it, but that was like his only two points. See, but that's funny because I remember covering uh, uh, Drew Holiday in the NCAA tournament when Villanova blew them out of the building for UCLA, and I'm thinking, like, the Sixers took Drew Holiday with the 19th row, that guy who who got tore up by Corey Fisher and Scotty Reynolds, and and he, he's been a good pro when he's been healthy. So He was also know. playing off the ball, too, right. wasn't he? Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. That's NBA true. draft, it's amazing. Like these guys, like who's who's the best who's the best scouting organization in the NBA? You know what? I would have to go with uh, Golden State and the Spurs. And the reason why I'm saying that, well, I would say the Spurs because if you think yeah, about the it, they don't go obvious. after yeah. blue chip guys, but they keep bringing these dudes. They get rights to guys overseas, and then they bring them in. They're not superstars, but they're great role players for them. You and know? and the other thing that you that sometimes get, gets lost in all this is that the Spurs are great at developing guys. Mm -hmm. Like look at Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard couldn't shoot coming mm -hmm. into the NBA, and now he is a guy that if you leave him open at the three point line. Apart from the fact that he's the best defensive guard in the league and can get to the rack and plays above the rim, th that dude can knock down an open three-pointer now with regularity. And that happened in part because the Spurs developed him. Mm -hmm. They saw something there. You know, how many times do you see guys, Gary Neal, you know, uh, played at LaSalle, played at Towson, was mm -hmm. a nobody, goes to the Spurs, and they turn him into a feasible NBA player um, because they either find something in him that they can use to, to their benefit 
where they're able to develop them. And you don't talk about that at the NBA level, level anymore, but they do it. The Spurs and OKC is pretty good, too. But because if you think about it, here, here's Russell Westbrook, who was a two-guard, who they draft in the top yep. four. And people are like, are you crazy? And, and then Serge Ibaka, no one knew who he was. They were questioning his age. You know, and, and then they also went out there and got James Harden. Mm-hmm. Um, they couldn't keep him, but at the same time, you know, these were guys who, you know, weren't really high on everyone else's radar, and they didn't care what anyone thought and went out there and got him. Right. What you, so what did they see in Russell Westbrook? Like, why – like, that's – it just seems like the NBA, it, seem, it should be so – seems tantalizingly easy to reverse engineer and just be like, well, what did this guy have? Do you know, like, what, yeah. what, what, like you look at Russell Westbrook now and you're like, well, obviously he's an NBA player. So what did he have? Was they it, was saw it? that he was a, they, they liked his motor. They saw that, they saw that he was a matchup problem. He couldn't shoot though. So, the, he so couldn't really shoot, what it comes down at, to is you're just, and so that's, it gets back to Michael Carter Williams. I remember when he was drafted, the thought was if only he can learn how to shoot. Mm-hmm. Now the other thought was, which turned out to be completely wrong, was this guy's a pretty good defender. Which I didn't think he was a very good defender at all. No. I just remember speaking of Russell Westbrook. One of my favorite basketball memories and, recently and, was the game. What St. Court sitting in the media row watching Russell Westbrook drop like fifty on Michael Carter Williams wearing a smirk the entire time. Like Kevin Durant spent the entire game like standing by the scorer's table like with his hands on his shorts like, just watching. <laughs> and Westbrook didn't even break a sweat. Like he just let it was. That was the day I realized Michael Carter Williams was not a good player. Like again, Russell Westbrook does that to a lot of people, but this guy couldn't even like offer resistance. And it was just the smirk on on Westbrook. I love Westbrook. He's he's, <laughs> he's the man. Like if I could be one player in the NBA, it would be Russell Westbrook. And I think because he does it with thing. that smirk. That's, that, that smirk is what they say that Dave Bennett used to say. That dog. He has <laughs> yeah. that dog in him. I mean, that's what it is. He comes at you hard. And you know, if if he senses weakness, he's going to take like, your heart. You know that you know you know that laugh he gave when at the, at the, at the, at the question the about Steph. Curry's he was defense. doing that while he was shooting the ball against Michael Carter Williams. Yeah, the difference <laughs> the difference is Steph Curry made him pay for it. The next right. two games, Carter yeah. Williams can't do right. that. Yeah, and Russell Westbrook was laughing after he he faced Steph Curry. He was laughing while he was actually playing Michael Carter Williams. Yeah, that's I, true. It, it's amazing that that a guy. It's just he's like the case in point where I just can't project guys in college to the NBA. Like, yeah, like you I, talked about. Who did you just mention? Like oh, I felt that Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, I felt the way. No, 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 no. You you mentioned someone else. Where you're Gary like, Neal. Uh, no, you were like, oh, I watched this guy. Like, oh, oh, oh Drew, Drew Holiday. Holiday. Yeah, yeah, like that's how Westbrook was with me. I, I saw that. I was like, really? What's the Russell Westbrook I saw on that? Like, all right. But you like know? you said, it's all about player development. Like the Spurs were one of the first teams to employ as player development coach who just happened to be Brett Brown. And his job was all hours of the night, whenever they wanted to go to the gym, he had to be there and he had to work on player shot. And you look at OKC, the guy who's the general manager of OKC used to work for the Spurs. So they were doing the same thing. Like they would see guys and say, wow, maybe he could fit in our system if we can get him to work on his shot. Yeah. And that's what it is. And see, that get, brings us back to kind of where we began and the idea of trading the Okafor right, but wait, wait, wait. Go, go ahead. To follow up on that, it, it's just amazing, though, how like it sounds so easy, but then you like think about it, you're like, dude, Evan Turner could never learn how to shoot. Right. Michael Carter-Williams could never learn how to shoot. That's it's true. It's like, how do you find that? Is it just – is it work ethic? Or is it like, like – mm-hmm. so like Evan, Evan Turner always – his problem – and. He, his guide hand was all messed up. Like mm-hmm. he he had his, his, he like wrapped it around. Yeah, it the would it would it would it, like if you look at Westbrook's form. Westbrook has perfect form. He is a perfect jump shooter. Like just in his hand placement, you know. Like and, and Evan Turner always had that guide hand in front of his. Like uh, to, to try to describe. I'm gonna put my best baseball radio announcer hat on and try to describe this on your radio dial. But like you, if you're a right-handed shooter, your left hand, you know, your 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 right hand is where the ball, you know. You're, you're, you're levering, pushing the, towards, you're pushing yeah. it towards you. Your your left hand, if it's too far in front of the ball, it affects the flight of the yeah. ball. And if, if you look at the logo, like when he would shoot, like if you look at a picture of him frozen in the air, his guide hand is off the ball before he releases the ball. So that left hand is all it's doing is making sure he has some stability going up. Where Evan Turner would just like that that hand would get in the way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. think that makes any sense to anyone listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but th- but that it gets to a kind it of It would make quite- sense if I could draw you a picture here on this whiteboard. <laughs> but that gets to back to what we were talking about like, you know, are these guys are the Sixers going to be able to develop these guys? Like an example I would use is and he gets chuckles all the time and he is so far clearly not justified where he has been picked in any regard is Nick Stauskas. Now, I'm not suggesting that you develop Nick Stauskas into a superstar. I don't think anybody would suggest that. But he is a guy who can shoot. So the question becomes, can you develop him into a J.J. Redick 
kind of a guy into a just a two guard who, whether he's coming off the bench or play, or starting and playing only so many minutes, can come in and you know Kyle Korver kind of guy hit threes. And I'm sorry to keep dry, dropping names of white guys here. I don't mean to you know. Yeah, what's up with that? What about Gary Neal, bro? Gary Neal, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but just a guy who can be valuable, doing fulfilling that role. Um, you know, I, can they do that? I don't it's know. It's all and, about the dog in you. Yeah. I mean, and like, and, and that's what I think it is. Like, okay. Like, I know this is a cliche, like, you could take the horse to the well, whatever, but you can't force the horse to drink. That's what it is. Like, I like Nick Stiles because he's a nice guy, right. a really nice guy. But, you know, he needs to take it, the onus on himself and get a little bit tougher. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. If he does that, he'll well, be Canadian, in the league for a He's Canadian. That's never going to happen. And, and, and he's see, Canadian and he's not playing that's, hockey. He's not going to get any tougher. Well, see, that's the knock on, on a lot of them, and, and it's starting to change. But it's, it's like one of those things is, like, I think when, when the Spurs and all these teams, they go there and they get these dudes and they're talking to them. And some people may say, you know what, this guy's a head case. And they're saying, yeah, but I want this guy. Mm-hmm. This is the guy I want because they know that they're hungry. Some of these guys, it's kind of like, you know, oh, hey, I'm going to be a lottery pick. I'm this, I'm that. People weren't always saying how great I am. And they probably don't work as hard as they are. Now, another thing is, I will say this, it's like typically – you need like a team like the Spurs and OKC. I know he was a top four pick, but they tend to have better scouts because they have to, right? Because their teams are playoff bound, and you have to go out there and you got to find that diamond in the rough, like that Bembry type of guy, yeah. a guy who could play both sides. Evan Turner, it was like, oh, well, he's going to go one, two, or three. So okay, John Wall goes, and then you're like, oh, I need a guard. So then you take Evan Turner. I don't think that take. At that particular time, I don't think that took a lot of like, oh, wow, I got to really scout this guy. The guy wasn't really working out for people. And and when he was working out, he was working out by himself. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of sort of like I think those other teams, they have to invest in development and they have to do all those other things. And unfortunately, that's why they – not unfortunately, but – for them, that's the reason why they won these championships, and these other teams keep going in the lottery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the you know the flip side of that too is you need some luck. Like the Spurs got the number one pick and got David Robinson, and were and were gutsy to wait two years for him on the on the possibility that he may decide. You know what, the military life is for me. I'm not going to go play basketball. Then they get really lucky one year and get the number one overall pick when Duncan's coming out, and that you know. They're already an excellent franchise that happens to a bottom now because Robinson got hurt and he just got hurt at the right year. And then that, you know, that catapults them into the stratosphere because they get Duncan. Um, but you're right. I mean, that, and, and again, though, for the Sixers, like how much of this is just these guys getting older too? Like the development is there, but, you know, at 19 or 20, you're not going to be as big and strong, as experienced, as savvy as somebody who's 24 or 25. And how are these guys going to look at that point? I mean, that takes some foresight too. And, you know, who the heck can know such a thing, you know? I mean, often a superstar doesn't reveal himself until he's a few years old. That's true. That's true. You know? My other question is, all right, let's talk about Marie Spates a little bit. Oh, okay. that, nice like, segue. Like, <laughs> no, like, like, so like he's like, I'm just like thinking of all these players that have run through the Sixers team that are now playing in roles elsewhere. And it's like... Is it just easier? Do you look smarter when you got stuff to build around? Do you know what I'm saying? Like when you when is it easier for the, the Spurs look smart because all they had to do was find role players to fit around Tim Duncan and David Robinson, or and same thing with like like having Clay Thompson and uh, Steph Curry, like having 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 them split the court and split the defense and draw the defense out. It makes a lot of other people look better. Do you know what I'm saying? Like Maurice Spates never looked. He's a completely different player now than he than he was yeah. with the Sixers. Like, he, did he take a single three point shot with the Sixers? You know, like he was a back to the basket guy, and now he's like a value. I mean, how does that happen? And, and is it just a matter of of having Ben Simmons be that guy, or or, or did the Golden State really see something in Maurice Spates that other teams didn't? I mean, it's like you said. I, I think Maurice Spates was a little bit. Um, I hate to say this, but ahead of his time and what i mean by that is when he was with the sixers you know he wanted to shoot he like you know like you said oh, he wanted, wanted him to? yeah he wanted to but they <laughs> wanted him to be a back to the basket type of guy but he was a little different so he goes somewhere where he fits in at and like let's face it he has a role he's not going to you know he's not a starter they're not asking him to get get those shots all the time but, I just love but when but when you get him out there he's going to throw it up <laughs> yeah. but you know 
but he couldn't do that here because right. they didn't need that. And that's what I meant by a little bit he was before his time. He was in a situation where, no, dude, we want you to grab rebounds. We want you to do this. He's like, nah, I want to shoot the ball. Well, it's you know it's, it's funny you mention this because. Maurice Space was, all right. So no, it's just. He was, he was two for eight. Go ahead. From three-point range his rookie year. 0 for five in 2009, 2010. And one for four in, uh, in fact, he wasn't any good until this year. Like, he, he – Well, I must say he was lighting the Sixers up the last three well, seasons. Well, here, here's what you just said about space made me think of. And Murph was there the other day. Jim Schwartz, the Eagles defensive coordinator, was asked about Marcus Smith, the first-round pick from 2014. And he basically said, like, we need to tell Marcus to do this one thing and not put anything else on his plate. Like, put him in a position where all he has to do is this thing, presumably rush the quarterback, and – He'll be fine. And that was the exact opposite of what Bill Davis wanted him to do as the defensive coordinator. It was like, well, you got to set the edge. you got to maybe cover a tight end. You may have to rush here. You may have to drop back into coverage there. And it's like, uh-uh, uh-uh. Just do this thing. And Spates, the way you're describing it, is that kind of guy. Like, Mo, just go do this thing. It's the thing you want to do. It's the thing you're good at. Go do that, and we'll figure out the rest when you're in the game. But that's how we can maximize you as a player. And plus, he plays on a team where they right. shoot a lot of threes. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Whereas the Sixers, they weren't into the analytics. Well, all right, so he, like, like another guy like on the Warriors. Like that. Another guy on the Warriors, like, I'd be interested to see what he would have been if, like, the Sixers would have drafted him there instead of the Warriors is uh, Harrison Barnes. Yeah. Like, Harrison Barnes is a perfect player for that team. And, like, Harrison Barnes was another one of these, like, guys that was supposed to be the truth back in the day. Um, and then he went to Carolina, and yeah. you were just kind of like, eh, you know? But, I mean, he's a guy who I just can't envision him in any other role than he's in right now. But, like, if he would have been drafted by the Sixers, he would have been putting up 20 shots a game. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I would be interested to see – it's just it's just very tough to isolate the variables. It is, because like. they're playing – with those two guys, with Curry and Thompson – they're playing in a way that no other team can play. I mean, look at look at the way Curry dribbles through a defense and how much exertion it takes for a defense to track him. Then you have another guy who is kind of like that. He doesn't dribble the ball as well, but if you leave, but he's moving everywhere, and if you leave him open for a second, he will bury a shot in your face. And now you've got those two things, and then you've got Bogut under the basket who doesn't want to do anything except rebound the ball and throw it out to near half court so Steph can start dribbling again. And then you got Barnes in one corner and maybe Sean Livingston in another or Iguodala in the other, whatever the case may be. Like, Murph's right. Like, how do you take, how do you pluck somebody out of that and figure out what they would be in a different environment? I don't know. Because yeah, it's, it's so unique. That environment is, is, is sui generis. Well, it's, you know, it's also funny, just listening to you, right? Like, you just mentioned, like, four top five picks in the NBA yeah. draft. You, like, that's the other crazy thing. Like, Bogut, like, Bogut's a bust anywhere else, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, and he is they a bust, probably. Like, yeah. What? You guys want him? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we want a big guy who will grab the ball and pass it back to our good players. And they tanked that's to it. get Harrison Barnes, too. <laughs> yeah. they already had Steph in yeah. play. Yeah, and, and they- it's just interesting. <laughs> it's just interesting. Maybe, like, I mean, maybe if Simmons is that guy, then everything else falls into place. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, maybe... Maybe Noel turns out to be like a. I mean, even Iguodala. Like, I think Iguodala is probably the perfect example of like we've seen him in both roles, and like that's how it looks. Like, that's, you know, that's like exactly Iguodala. Right. This is the role he was built to built to mm-hmm. play. Mm-hmm. You know, he because was, he is. I mean, he's every bit the defender that Kawhi Leonard is. He is so oh, good. Absolutely. You know, as a one-on-one defender and a perimeter defender, and you know, to see him what with what he was with the Sixers, where they're trying to make him the go-to guy, and he, he I always kind of got the sense he wanted to be that guy at that time, um, and now that he knows, like, you know, no, like, I'm a complete player, and, you know, here's where uh, my strengths are, and here's where I'm at my best, um, you're right. It's, I mean, like, that, you know that's who could a be a guy example. like that one day is Thaddeus Young, like, that Young. Like, he could be, yeah. like, he could, th- like, I don't think he's, like, he's putting up numbers right now, but I don't think he's, like, if he's the one putting up numbers, it's almost like self-evidential where like, if this guy's the one averaging 15 points a game for you, that's going to be a problem because like the guy who's averaging 15 points a game should be a lot better than that. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. And Thad would be knowing Thad a little bit. He would be like, he would relish that. I feel like he's got the personality type. He is playing the best ball of his career though. But you know, the thing is like the game has changed because you look at him, he's a, 
you do you're a six eight power forward. Right. But teams are going with small lineups, and mm-hmm. he's running up and down the court, and he's getting double doubles. But yeah, you, you're right, you're right. And the thing is, though, I'm just looking. I through do the think roster. that they gave up on Thad a little bit too soon mm. because he was still young, man. Yeah, you know, he was still young. Yeah. So, what do you think of the finals? Like, what do you think is going to happen here? Man, that's a tough one. Um, the reason why it's a tough one is because Cleveland looks hungry. And Golden State looks tired. Yep. I mean, but they have that will. But I, I don't know. I, I, I think King James is going to end up getting them. I, I do. I, I think that they'll get them in seven. I mean, I, That's if you I, ask I, me I, later tomorrow, like tomorrow, I may say, nah, dude, they're going to get swept. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they, they took them to six games last year without exactly. Irving and without Love. And now you've got those guys. You've got, like you said, a tired-looking Golden State team, and you've got the Cavaliers with, you know, just what's. It's interesting from like a story standpoint because if this had been three years ago, if it had been LeBron and the Heat against Steph and the Warriors, the entire country would be rooting for the Warriors. I'm not sure that's the case now. I feel like because it's Cleveland and they've never won a championship, and LeBron went back there. Now it's kind of like, ah, you know, it's the best of all worlds. Like, whoever wins, it's going to be great. You know, if LeBron wins, you know, hey, Cleveland gets a championship. And if Steph wins, then you finish the greatest season in the history of basketball. Harrison Barnes is only 23 years old. That's yeah, amazing. Sorry, I'm just looking through no, rosters. <laughs> I'm in a basketball reference wormhole. But see, here's <laughs> the thing. I think the reason why Cleveland will get them, because, like, last year they didn't have their superstars. We know that besides LeBron. But then when you start talking about Della Vadova, he doesn't have to be a starter. And Della Vadova is the guy who gets under everyone's skin. And then you have J.R. Smith and people say, yo, what's, what's J.R. thinking? He's the, you know, he has that dog in him too. Yes. I mean, you, he he's may got have a little lot, bit he's more. He's got a lot of stuff in him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stuff. So, he's got a rabid dog in him, yeah, I think. <laughs> so it's kind of sort of like, you know, I know Draymond Green is a competitor and he does stuff and he says a lot. But when they were down – it seems like he was the only one yapping on the bench. Like, come on, guys. Other yeah. guys look defeated. I just think that, you know, that that second unit from the from the Cavs or, you know, with uh, Shumpert and, and J.R. Smith's a starter. But, you know, I, I just think that they bring so much and they and they have a lot of guys who, 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 who are going to get after it. I, I do. Mm-hmm. I think they'll win in seven. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting contrast of styles, too, because the, the Cavs can throw the ball down on the block to LeBron in a way that the Warriors can't. To anybody, I mean, they're going to live and die with the Splash Brothers. Um, Is that really what we're calling them? I don't we know. We can call them whatever we want. <laughs> um, that's what everybody knows them. I know. I, gonna mean, I don't mean. I don't mean us in here. <laughs> I mean, Let's like, reverse that. They're going to live and die with Thompson and Curry, and you know, but the Cavs go. can beat you in different ways, and I think in a way the Warriors can't. You know, and that sounds like I'm ripping the Warriors, and I'm not. I mean, they're incredible. It, it's interesting. Kyrie Irving's shooting a lot more this year. I feel like. Or uh, he's he shooting a lot less. less I'm sorry, yeah, a yeah. lot less this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like that to me was like he 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 he, he kind of needed like a little come to Jesus moment. Like, <laughs> yo, bro. <laughs> well, there was a, yeah. Th- well, there was an interesting there was an interesting column by the guy who covers them for Cleveland.com where he basically said like Kyrie is the problem. Like he is dribbling the ball too much. Chris and Haynes. yes, yeah, yeah. you know, and it's like the reason they're losing games basically is because Kyrie Irving is standing out there dribbling fi- 10 to 15 seconds off the shot clock. And then they're forced to take bad shots and they're not going to be the team they can be until he stops doing that. And then he stopped doing that. And they've, they've been winning ever it's since. It's just like, we forget, like we forget that, that this game, like I, I'm about to change my pick now. I, I we had to do a, uh, I, uh, Eddie Barkowitz is running a little preview box yeah, in the paper tomorrow. Yeah, I gotta do. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he emailed. You were on the list too. Yeah, I always yeah. check. My first thing is like, look how many people didn't do it. So like, because a lot of times it's just me they send it to. Yeah. Okay. But uh, I was I was thank I was thankful to see your name on there. I was like, <laughs> yeah. all right, I wasn't the only one. But anyway, I picked the Cavs and I picked the uh, Warriors in seven. But I thought a little bit about it, and the more I think about it, because like my problem is like, then people are just like, oh, you're just being contrarian or whatever. But we forget that this game went to six games last year with LeBron and like. Four guys named like, Joe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. LeBron and like this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they can well, shoot yeah. the ball too, just like the Cavs. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, I mean like it went like, to six games last year, and and I'll tell you what, the, the first couple games, the, the Warriors have a really crazy way of like when they're bad, like you they, look at them and you're like, how are they going to win this game? Because I just remember 
look at watching LeBron play last year and Iguodala, I mean, speaks to how well he played, but like yeah. even Steph Curry, I remember seeing him try to guard somebody last year and just being like, how in the world are they not just going to like back him down every time, you know? And, and yeah. And even like on, on a Thursday, whatever the night was, the game seven was like, I when, when, Monday State, night. when uh, OKC went up 10 points in the, in the first half, I'm just like, man, like, this game's not even gonna be fun to watch because they're not. The thing is, like, the Warriors are a completely different team when they're not. When, when those two aren't aren't hitting, you know, or not getting their shot off, it, it, they're like really tough to watch. But then they all of a sudden just turn it on. You know, it's 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 why I ended up picking them in seven because every every instinct in me says this team's tired. This team's like they just don't look the same. They look like a team trying like destined to lose. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But then they look like a team that you just can't kill, which is why I tur- changed my pick around. <laughs> now I want to change it again. Yeah. Who are you gonna pick? I'm, I'm picking the Cavs in seven. I mean, because... I mean, you're, you're adding Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving. Yeah, you're adding to, Kevin Love. And I don't even... Kevin Love doesn't even have to play great. To he me. just has to be there. Dude, I mean, he, he, has has a, be there. he has the softest numbers I've ever seen, I wow. feel like. Like, yeah. he's like... He just is one of those guys where I watch him in person, and I'm like, what? this is the guy that puts up those numbers? You I know? mean, well, you know, he was playing also. He was playing on a bad team before. Um, but at, at the same time, I, I think it's going to get down to the fact that they're going to be deep. I mean, they have Shannon Fry who can shoot. I mean, they have a lot of good additions. Now, again, it's nothing against Golden State, but I, I, I think that, you know, a lot of the invincibility that we thought about uh, the Warriors is gone now. If you look at I look at I look at OKC, right? You know what they look like to me? They look like a really good AAU team with a bunch of McDonald's All-Americans on the team, but the coach lets the two guys do whatever they want to do. Um, they make bad decisions. And it's just late sheer talent. Yeah, it's sheer yeah. talent, and that, and I think that got to him. I mean, it, it got to him. And like if people always say, when you play OKC, you want the game to be close at the end because the turnovers are about to happen, mm-hmm. and that's what. Happens, yeah, it's true. You know? Yeah, so, they, you know what they look like? They look like a guy who could use James Harden to counter Trey Yeah, Lockery, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, if true. only they had that guy, that, that's yeah. what they're missing. You know? Yeah. Well, we're it's it's we're going on like an hour right now. All right. Um. But yeah, so so I'm curious. The, as someone who who has tried to play basketball before in my life, like it's really hard to cover guys who move a lot and and shoot the, and can shoot the ball from wherever. Do they just wear people down? Like, are they? Do they just wear people down the Warriors to the point where it's just tough to run it, around with them? That in the motion, third or yeah. Because the thing is, what they're doing is they're 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 moving around trying to get Steph open shots. And if what they do is a lot of times, you know, you'll see a guy he's look like he's driving to a basket. And then they'll kick it out. Right. You know what I mean? And, and that's what they do. But I'm saying, like, it gets harder they, to – like, for a defender, do. like, if this was, like, Nintendo, your, like, stamina bar exactly, would be, like, yeah. down at 40% the whole second half because, like, you've been running around. The, yeah, you got to like, go, face guard these guys the entire time. Yeah, the face guard. We have the face guard. And one thing that I felt like OKC wasn't doing is you got to face guard. They weren't, like, keeping a body on right. them. Like, they kept bumping them, knocking them around, stuff like that. And if you don't do that, they, you, you're going to wear down and you're going to get tired. And a lot of times, like – what they do is you're guarding them, but you're looking to see where the pass is going to come from. So you're looking back, and next thing you know, Steph is wide open in the corner. That's the thing they do very well to like counteract like any like extension of the defense is that peel back. Like like yeah. Steph and Clay are very good pass. They they pass very well in tight windows to guys that are like cutting from the elbow. Yep. Like they you see that all the, like you can't over you can't over pursue against these guys or else they're just going to turn around and. Yeah, I mean they've got. And the they, other guys they really have it. the perfect team. They have yeah, the perfect team. They, the other guys yeah, do yeah. it too. Like the first basket they scored in Game Seven was that Iguodala like wraparound bounce pass to Draymond Green for a layup. It was like, oh my god. But I feel like, like so like I think that's what Draymond and even like Spates to a certain extent. Like they've got they. It seems like in the NBA, like your two options at some point are going to have a stretch where they're both not hitting, and you need like that third guy who mm-hmm. can be the guy to be like when like when they sit when they sit Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. At the same time, like they have that guy who can still be like, all right, we need someone to just step up and hit a shot. And like Draymond Green has been that guy, but they also have Iguodala, you know, Iguodala can be that guy, Spates can be that guy at times. Like they've got a lot of guys who can hit a shot. Is what it comes mm-hmm. down to. And I'm not sure that 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 Oklahoma City had that third guy. You know. No. Nah. Nah. So, nah. well, listen. Thanks for coming in, Keith. You notice yeah, it gets hot in here as we keep talking. Yeah, the more the, the more hot air we expunge, the the warmer it gets in the room. The crazy hot ratio is like one to one. By it the is. End of this thing. It is. But we appreciate Keith <laughs> Pompey coming in, and uh, thanks again. We'll tune in next week. Thanks. That was good. Yeah. yeah thanks. That was fun. Sorry, it took a while to get started. Nah, yeah. Thanks for doing it, man. Nah, anytime, man. Nah, okay, yeah, dude.